Welcome to Women of Marvel. I'm Ellie Pyle. I'm Judy Stevens. And I'm Anjali Grochet. Today we're talking about two women who share a superhero name and a last name, Janet Van Dyne and her stepdaughter, Nadia Van Dyne, the Wasps. So Angelique, I know you have a lot of thoughts about Janet. Lay them on me. So here's the thing. Out of all of the characters that have gone through major evolutions in the Marvel Universe, Janet Van Dyne does not get enough credit for how far she has evolved and how much she was as a trailblazer in the comics. Like, she starts off as a fashionista. She is this wealthy socialite about town. She falls in love eventually with Hank Pym, but, you know, to avenge her father's death, blah, blah, blah. She becomes a superhero. This is not the point. The point being is what she does with those superpowers after she gets over this idea of getting vengeance, which is she becomes a leader, right? Like, she's the first woman chairperson of the Avengers. And if you know anything about the Avengers of the 80s, and we're talking about Hawkeye and Thor and Tony, he's talking about a lot of big egos, yo. And I just feel like she was able to wrangle these dudes in a way that was really aspirational. And when she stepped down, she kind of paves the way for the second woman to become the chairperson of the Avengers, Monica Rambeau. But Janet never went anywhere. She was still this dope, amazing hero. She took some breaks, came back, and then she becomes a mentor and doesn't get shady about her name. Like, she shares her name with Nadia, and she's, like, shared her wisdom with other folks. But you're talking about an Avengers team where there were more men than women, and she held it down. You know, she got over a lot. Yo, she's a baddie. Well... And you mentioned her resilience, and I feel like that's something that she and Nadia really share, is their ability to kind of work with the challenges that they faced in life and turn those into amazing opportunities for other people. Also, Nadia Van Dyne is a genius. She got a knack for science from her father, Hank Pym. But she chose to take on Janet's last name and her mantle of the Wasp, despite not being related by blood. Janet is very much a mother figure to Nadia. Our first guest is Alana Smith, who is an editor in the Avengers office here at Marvel. She edited books featuring Captain America, Captain Carter, Ms. Marvel, and so many more, including our girls Janet and Nadia. Alana edited the Unstoppable Wasp series back in 2018, plus the 2020 Champions series that featured Nadia, and she'll be editing the new Wasp 60th anniversary series coming in January. She'll give us a great introduction to both Nadia and Janet, and then walk us through their relationship. Let's give it a listen. Alana Smith, welcome to Women of Marvel. First off, please introduce yourself and tell our listeners what it is that you do. Sure thing. Uh, I'm Alana Smith. I'm an editor in the Avengers office at Marvel. Um, primarily, I work on Captain America and the associated titles, but I also work on other Avengers books like uh, the upcoming Scarlet Witch and the upcoming Wasp series, as well as a series of romance Infinity Comics on Marvel Unlimited. So you edited Nadia Van Dyne's story in two comics, The Unstoppable mm -hmm. Wasp and Champions. For mm -hmm. listeners who haven't read those yet, tell us a little bit about those series. Sure. So um, actually, Nadia's first appearances were in the Avengers run that we did with Mark Wade and Adam Kubert uh, and Mahmoud Azrar. She showed up there as someone to, to take up the Wasp mantle anew. And then from there, we spun off her solo series, The Unstoppable Wasp, by Jeremy Whitley. And the first series was Elsa Chartier. And the follow-up series was drawn by Gurihiru. And basically, she is the daughter of Hank Pym and his first wife, who died before he met Janet. He did not know he had a daughter. Basically, she was, she was whisked away to the Red Room and kind of given similar assassin training that Black Widow had before ultimately using her science smarts to break out of the Red Room and run off to join the Avengers. So she was with the Avengers for a while. Then in Unstoppable Wasp, she struck out on her own and formed a lab called GIRL, the Genius in Action Research Labs, which recruited female scientists to be the next generation of uh, scientific advancement. 
And then kind of concurrently with that, uh, she joined the Champions, which initially started as a broken off group of the same Avengers team that Nadia was a part of. She stuck with the Avengers a little longer when the Champions struck out on their own, and that was Ms. Marvel, uh, Nova, and Miles Morales. And then later she would join up with them as a as a regular team member. So their younger group of heroes who are a little more socially minded and hungry to make a difference. And so she's she's one of their brainy team members along with Vivision and uh, Braun and Ironheart. So, yeah. Awesome. And why don't you give us a quick intro to Janet Van Dyne as well, since we will also Mm -hmm. be talking about her. How would you kind of describe her role and impact on the Marvel Universe? Sure. So uh, Janet was introduced very, very early on in the history of Marvel as a supporting character for Hank Pym Ant-Man, but very quickly became, you know, a very interesting and compelling character in her own right. They were love interests for a time and had kind of a tumultuous, like, does he love her more or does he love science more kind of relationship? And, you know, ultimately they did end up breaking up after Hank had kind of a a mental break that caused a lot of problems in their relationship. But she is a founding member of the Avengers. She's been there since the very beginning. Um, She is also the one who named the team the Avengers. And I kind of see her as an architect of the Avengers in that sense where, you know, she, I feel, was always kind of the person with the vision and like the, the drive to, you know, keep them together, keep them on the right path, both personally and professionally, because she's, you know, a social butterfly. She's very charismatic. Everyone likes her. She's that person who like, you know, walks into a room and everyone just wants to like have at least one conversation with her because she just seems so compelling and interesting. And she's a fashion designer uh, and a businesswoman. So she's she's kind of done it all. And yeah, she's just, she's a very core member of Marvel's biggest group of, of heroes. Yeah. Well, what we're going to be talking about a lot today is the relationship between these two wasps. And Nadia and Janet have a really interesting and strong relationship. What's your take on their relationship as an editor? Yeah, I mean, I think it has resulted in a, a really lovely organic thing that kind of grew over time. Like, I don't think we started out with the idea that, like, you know, Janet would adopt Nadia and Nadia would take her last name, which is what ended up happening. You know, it was like initially there was actually a bit of tension because Nadia showed up in the wasp costume using the wasp name and she didn't ask anyone (laughs) if she could do that. Like she just kind of did it, which caused her her other parental figure, uh, Edwin Jarvis, to get a little irritated at her because Jarvis is very, very protective of Janet and very respectful toward Janet. But Nadia is a deeply, deeply lovable person. So, of course, as soon as Janet met her, you can't be frustrated with that person. She's just too sweet and wonderful. So very quickly, they they started being drawn together and, and Janet being a very nurturing and kind person who, who cares a lot about the people around her, pretty quickly took Nadia under her wing accepted that she is also carrying this mantle of the wasp and and is deserving of it as well. The way that, you know, Janet looks at it is that, you know, Hank Pym in a way created the wasp and Nadia is the daughter of Hank Pym. So even though her history with Hank Pym is very complicated and and filled with, you know, some trauma and some tension, like she still is a, you know, caring enough person to respect that Nadia has her own relationship to Hank's legacy and, you know, deserves to figure out what that is for herself. So yeah, she's just been a, she's been a big part of Nadia's life ever since. She uh, sponsored her in getting her American citizenship because she kind of flew over here from the Russian Red Room and didn't do any of that. So yeah, they're really lovely and really sweet and they have a very nice bond. So for those who don't know, GIRL is the Genius in Action Research Labs, and they were founded to find the best female scientific minds to convince S.H.I.E.L.D. that their list needed an update. Did Janet have an official role in the founding of GIRL, or was she just kind of a supportive mother figure during the process? Yeah, I think 
Nadia started it more on her own and Janet's role kind of came in later as she, you know, showed up to just kind of make sure everything was running well. She gave them access to one of Hank's old labs to set up in. So she's really more of a of a sponsor to it than a directly involved mm-hmm. person because it's all Janet is an incredibly smart person, but not in the technological sense. Yeah. So a lot of this goes over her head in a way, and she's kind of the the parent who's like nodding along and being like, that's great. That's super cool. Like, I'm glad for you guys, but I don't know what you're talking about. I love that. So and I think I think that's a nice part of their dynamic too, is they're they're both very intelligent in very, very different ways. And they complement each other really well because of it. Yeah. But as you said, Janet knows a thing or two about leading a team and keeping a group of mm-hmm. people working together in the best possible way. So I'm, mm-hmm. I'm sure that was wisdom that was helpful. But what a wonderful thing to have parents who, even if they don't understand what you're doing, yes. are <laughs> supportive. <laughs> mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, yes. That's great. So knowledge of science isn't the only thing that Nadia inherited from her father. Mm-hmm. You briefly referenced Hank's mental instability and Nadia herself has bipolar disorder. Mm-hmm. So how has Janet been a source of guidance and strength and helped Nadia kind of understand that part of herself? For Janet, coming from the experience of, of dealing with Hank when he was at his worst, like, I don't think there was necessarily ever a point where Hank like went and got a diagnosis and dealt with it. And she also, Janet had a tendency to try to shield Nadia from the worst of who her father was and, and what he dealt with because Nadia had a very rosy image of him, you know, learning about him from afar. And so when we went into the story where Nadia discovers she has bipolar, Nadia doesn't really know what's going on. Like, Nadia doesn't know why she feels like this. Nadia doesn't know that it's something she could have inherited. It's something that is another part of the legacy of her father, potentially. And so Janet kind of has to step in and be the the guide in that moment and use the knowledge that she has to help Nadia be set on a better path than her father was. So she's she's helped Nadia a lot. She goes with Nadia to therapy sometimes, you know, makes sure she's staying on track and is just generally a very supportive and accepting voice in her life, even when she's going through some some prickly times. Yeah, I always love any time our stories intersect with mental health and show our characters going to therapy. And I think that's such an important part of the world outside our window of it all is, you know, showing these superheroes dealing with those struggles and that, you know, that's its own kind of superpower in a way, taking responsibility for your health. Uh, So Nadia isn't the only one that Janet has had a huge influence on. We discussed kind of her role in founding the Avengers, but she was also the first woman to lead the team and paved the way for others to kind of do so in her footsteps. How has Janet kind of served as a mentor or role model for other characters across the Marvel Universe? I I do want to mention first that like, I think it's really cool that Janet exists. That's an oversimplification. But like, you know, the idea that there was this ultra feminine, but also ultra badass character who was leading the Avengers really before a lot of conversations started happening about representation in media and the need for female characters to be spotlighted in a meaningful way. Like, this is stuff that was happening, like, years and years ago. It's Janet's 60th anniversary next year. So I think a lot of those stories you can look back at, and they've aged better than you would have expected. Mm -hmm. Like, she's a different sort of competent than I think a lot of the characters around her are, in that, like, of course she's the natural person to run a team, because she has almost certainly a relationship with everybody and like knows everybody's birthdays and probably bakes everyone a cake every time someone has an event. Like she's just the the person that you want in charge of things because she's very organized, but it comes from a place of, of deep care also where she she wants everyone to feel seen and acknowledged and cared for. And I think 
you know, you could argue that there's a degree to which, like, that's the traditional feminine role, and it would be easy to dismiss her because of that, but I think she's she's so much more complicated and interesting than just that, and it's just a facet of her that it just feels real and authentic, and I feel like you know that person. Like, you know that person who's just, like, the fashionista who blows in and, and you know, has a gift for everybody and, you know, remembers to ask about all your relatives who are sick, like... I think it's just very cool that she hasn't had to change herself to take on those powerful roles. And, you know, she hasn't had to become cold or burdened with incredible trauma or, you know, anything like that. To She, she just is who she is. And that naturally helps her gravitate toward a, a leadership role. Well, and in fact, we've even seen her bring resilience to the trauma she has experienced mm-hmm. at times and not have that shape her in taking her away from herself, as you said. I also think there is something really wonderful about what you said about letting Janet play to those traditionally feminine strengths and showing the strength and leadership in that, you know, that she doesn't have to be a super scientist. She just has to be able to have a conversation with all of the super scientists she's surrounded by, you know, that she, she has the emotional intelligence that a lot of these heroes don't necessarily have. And that that is its own superpower in a way, you know, being able to deal with people, which is not something that all of these very strong personalities are necessarily (laughs) known for. Many of them are charming, but actually dealing with people, (laughs) you know, not, Mm -hmm. not what I would go to Tony Stark for. Yeah. Yes. (laughs) So I, I agree with you that I think in many ways, Janet was ahead of her time in terms of the roles that she was able to take on and how she approached leadership. Yeah. So you said that she has a new series coming up. It is her 60th anniversary, so there's going to be a new Wasp series. What can you tell us about that without getting too deep into spoilers? Sure. So it is a four-part series celebrating Janet's 60th anniversary in the Marvel Universe. It's written by uh, Al Ewing, kind of following up on the Ant-Man anniversary miniseries that he just did. So it's going to have a similar sort of structure and vibe to that. The artist is Cassiani, who drew Mockingbird for us back in the day, and also Age of Conan Belit. And she's wonderful and amazing, and the pages are beautiful. And the story is Janet-centric, though Nadia will be involved as well. The idea being that for both of them, like, these elements and and dark characters from their shared pasts are kind of bubbling up in, in confusing and uncertain ways and it's so it's a little bit of a mystery it's a little bit you know of an action adventure where there's some exploration of uh janet's origin which is that you know her father was murdered in a mysterious way by a Mm -hmm. mysterious organization and creature and so some of that is going to be coming back and we're also going to be touching on some elements from Nadia's earliest days where there was an organization who came around looking for her and actually trying to take her in for reasons that we never actually explored. So both of those two elements are going to come together in a way that creates a lot of problems for both of them. So it's a lot of looking back onto Janet's very storied and very interesting past in a way that Al Ewing is always super good at. Like, he's just an encyclopedia of classic tales and is always very respectful of what came before while still building new things. So a lot of this will be, you know, building new futures for both of them, which we're hoping to follow up on in the next year or so. And it's just a rad adventure with these two ladies doing some cool stuff. I think the nice thing, too, is we've talked a lot about how, how nice Janet is. I think there is also a bit of a dark undercurrent to her that comes out sometimes and it's even more exciting with her because you're so used Mm -hmm. to her being nice that the moments when she's not nice or the moments where she really puts her foot down are really nice standout moments. So there are going to be a few of those in this as well where we see that like Janet's very nice but she's also made of very tough stuff and like you do not want to mess with this lady or get on her bad side. So... That's basically where it's where it's going, and it, it launches in January and runs for the four months after that. So, very excited to read it, and I think that's an important 
component of leadership <laughs> and also other things, knowing knowing when nice sure. is not the tool you need for this situation. Yeah, you know? exactly. But, when you really need to just put someone in their place yeah. a little bit. So speaking of which, what do you think the most important qualities in a mentor or leader are? Hmm. Oh, goodness. I mean, don't tell him I said this, but I've been very lucky to have a really excellent mentor in Tom Brevoort and also in Will Moss, who I work more closely with now. But I think really the the most important thing that, that I got out of it is really just, I don't know, kind of like letting me say dumb stuff until I started saying smarter <laughs> stuff. <laughs> you know, like with, with Tom, it was always a process of when we were looking for artist suggestions, I would suggest 10 bad ones. And I didn't know why they were bad yet. Not bad artists, right. but bad for the assignment, right. to be clear. I don't suggest yeah. bad artists. But, uh, you know, he'd be like, okay, I'm not going to do that, and here's why. And that really helped me hone, like, okay, like, I'm going to learn for myself why the things that I'm doing are not necessarily working and, and adjust my approach. And and it was never um, it was never a situation where judgment was involved. It was just like, nope, that's incorrect, and here's why. And I think I think that's a very good quality in a mentor, is being able to tell someone when they're incorrect, but in a way that isn't accusatory and isn't a reflection on on them. Like, I, I go back to an art teacher I had in high school who every time you did something not right in your art, it was about you as a person and it was a reflection of, of something deep in your soul that wasn't coming out correctly. And that was such a strife-ridden way to go about teaching someone to do something. <laughs> Um, and I kind of didn't fully realize it until I had an art teacher in college who was just like, hey, that's kind of bad, but you could do this and it would be better. And it was like, oh, okay, like, <laughs> great, <laughs> I'll do that then. So I think really that that willingness to correct people, but in, in a very clerical matter of fact way is, is a really important skill to have. And for listeners who don't know, the casting process, as we call it, the pairing of writers and artists with projects with each other is one of the most important but most mm -hmm. esoteric parts of this yes. job <laughs> in terms of just figuring out, you know, what's going to work. How do you find a team that is going to work well together and be interesting and find that right fit. So um, I yes. am I, I am very glad that Tom gave you that mentorship, but also want to honor <laughs> how hard of a thing that is to just come in this it job is very hard. and, you know, figure out how to do because there are things that you're like, oh, obviously this. And, you know, yeah, nope. it's it's a complex social game as well. Absolutely. Where you're like, will this person jive well with this person if we put them together? Or will their foibles clash? And it's, you know, something Janet Van Dyne would be very good at to bring it. <laughs> She'd be circle. a great comic book editor. She'd be. <laughs> she would. Very, I really think good. she would. <laughs> well, and, you know, as comic book editors, I think very often, whether we mean to or not, we end up taking kind of a mentorship role with the teams. A lot of the qualities that you're talking about, specifically in being able to deliver constructive feedback, I'm sure are things that you also need to not just receive, but also deploy in your life on a daily basis. Mm -hmm. So yeah, um, what has editing kind of taught you about those skills and about mentorship yeah i mean i think one of the things that's that's been trickiest to you know stand by over time is is the realization that what someone you're mentoring wants may not always be the best thing for yep. them and and to be able to acknowledge that in a way that's not patronizing and respects their agency but i've had you know a number of writers and artists who i love working with like you know really want to build up and see thrive but that sometimes means you can't say yes to every pitch they send you like it's always very important to me when i'm onboarding someone new to do everything i can to put them in a position to succeed and sometimes that means waiting a year or two until i have the right project where i feel they could really pop as as opposed to putting them on a one issue thing here or there that i know won't get as many eyes on it and that is a hard thing to tell people who, you know, obviously want to work and want to break in. And, and it's not that you're not there. It's that I don't have the right place to actually help you succeed. 
So a lot of it is patience and and figuring out like how you can line those dominoes up and, and how you can put someone in really the best possible takeoff position. Because I tend to not want to hire someone just for a one-off gig that won't go anywhere. Like if I really like someone and I, I see that they're good and have potential, I, I want them to be able to become someone that the whole office goes to when they when they think about casting something. But it is a discipline to learn to be in the position to say no to people. Absolutely. Because, you know, we all love comics. We all really want to be here. And it's hard to be the person standing in the way sometimes, even if you know it's for good reasons. Yeah. On our best days, we get to make dreams come true. But that also means (laughs) that we kill a dream or two every now and then along the way. But I think it goes back to what we were saying about Janet, that knowing when not to be nice is as important a component as the being nice to everybody because you know as you said it's giving people the best chance to succeed but also those opportunities to grow yeah so you have been at this for a while now and are actually at the point in your career where you're also able to mentor other editors which is something i Mm -hmm. happen to know about so Mm -hmm. talk about that a little bit what is it like to kind of you know you've had such great mentors in Will and Tom, but how are you then able to apply that into working with a new generation of editors coming in? So I think the one thing that's been both exciting and daunting is that when I came in, there were female editors that ranked higher than me that I could go to and talk to and get advice from, but all three of them left, <laughs> you know, after a certain point, you know, Sana moved on to, Sana Amanat was a, a big one when I first started that you know, we would all go to if we had some issue that we wanted to talk through with someone. And, you know, to her great credit, she has she has moved on to incredible and wonderful things. But after a certain point, like it was like me and Sarah Brunstead looked at each other and we were like, oh, my God, we're the highest ranking women in editorial. No, <laughs> like, how did this happen? Now we have to be like <laughs> competent and, and helpful and, and so on, which is a responsibility that, that I do take very, very seriously. And I know Sarah does too. Sarah's really, really wonderful at keeping everyone organized and communicating and supporting each other. A lot of what I do is, is supporting her efforts because she's she's just so good at it. But really, it's I feel much more loyalty to my fellow employees. So, you know, if they ask me a question, I will answer honestly. Like if they, you know, ask me how something usually works, I will answer honestly. And, and you know, honesty has been one of the most important mentorship tools I have in this, which is, you know, sometimes things don't work out how you want them to, but here's how to navigate it if they don't. And here's how to keep hope alive if something gets really frustrating. And, you know, here's like the realistic read on how this situation usually pans out. And so really, it's been a lot of trying to make sure that people coming up who are newer than me are equipped to deal with situations, are prepared to go into things with with clear eyes and also know that they have people to fall back on if they get into a situation where they need to vent or they need support or they need, you know, something to happen in a certain way. It's really just trying to be as accessible and open as possible and as honest as possible at any turn. I love that. And I think that's part of what makes Marvel so special and makes the way mentorship plays out at Marvel so very special is that, you know, there is there is that honesty of, you know, yeah, we're all in this together. And sometimes it's going to be a bad day. Sometimes it's going to be a dream killer day, not a dream making day. And here's how we're all going to get through that. Yeah. And I I think uh, to that end, like the other aspect of mentorship is not you know, talking to the people below you, it's also talking to the people 100%. above you. And, you know, I've I've had very blunt conversations with with people like Tom and CB when, when we disagreed on something or when I didn't agree with the direction of something. And to their credit, they have always listened. Like, I've never been penalized for speaking very bluntly. And so using our voice to try to make things better for everybody is is also super, super important. Well, I am glad that you are out there doing that work. Trying, trying to. (laughs) Um, Well, thank you so much for coming on the podcast today. And please come back anytime there's something you want to talk about. Um, We would love to have you. Thanks so much. Super fun.
Among many other things, Alana is currently editing Captain America, Sentinel of Liberty, issue six hit shelves this week, and the Captain America and the Winter Soldier special number one is out next week. So get that on your pull lists. Our next guest wrote about young Nadia when she was new to superheroing. Sam Maggs is the author of the YA novel, The Unstoppable Wasp Built on Hope. Hello, Sam Maggs. Welcome back to Women of Marvel. Oh, hi, Ellie. Thank you so much. (laughs) We know and love you here, but just in case people are listening to one of your episodes for the first time, please introduce yourself and tell our listeners what you do. Oh, sure. Well, hi, everyone listening. My name is Sam Maggs. I'm a writer of books, comics, and video games for Marvel. So I have written, oh gosh, just a a wide variety of things. I wrote all of Marvel Action Captain Marvel for IDW and Marvel, which was a delightful all-ages series focused on Carol, a YA novel for Marvel Press called The Unstoppable Wasp, built on hope about Nadia Van Dyne, which I think we'll be talking a lot about today. And I've also uh, written for video games. I wrote on Marvel's Spider-Man for the PlayStation through Insomniac Games, which was also delightful always fun to write a little peter so yeah i I sort of run the gamut on marvel projects and i'm always delighted to be here talking to the women of marvel and we're delighted to have you here so (laughs) you mentioned your marvel ya novel the unstoppable wasp built on hope it's about nadia van dyne for listeners who haven't read it yet tell us a little bit about the book Yes, absolutely. So Nadia is the unstoppable wasp. If you haven't read her comics written by Jeremy Whitley, they're so wonderful. And they set up essentially that Nadia is Hank Pym's daughter who was kidnapped as a baby and raised in the Red Room, which you may be familiar with from Natasha's stories. But instead of becoming, you know, solely a superhero assassin, Nadia, like her father, showed a real penchant for science. She's a real genius. And when she escaped the Red Room as a teen, she made her way back to Manhattan, where she found Hank's ex-wife, Janet Van Dyne. Her father had unfortunately passed away and kind of was like, hey, I'm your long-lost stepdaughter from a Russian brainwashing camp. (laughs) And I'm also (laughs) a genius. And like my dad, I also have bipolar disorder. And I'm also a superhero. uh, And I invented pimp particles just like he did. And I too can shrink. Can I stay in your house? <laughs> um, which is, you and know, who could a say lot no to that for a team. Yeah, absolutely. And so The Unstoppable Wasp Built on Hope picks up at the end of this comic book series and is very much about Nadia trying to balance all of these different parts of her life, you know, being a teenager, being in school, learning how to drive, uh, managing her bipolar disorder, having this new family, also trying to be a good friend. She runs something called the Girl Squad, G-I-R-L Squad, which is like an organization for teen girls in the Manhattan area in science. Um, And so she's brought together like a group of cool gals who are all interested in sciencing with her and trying to be a good friend to them uh, and also trying to stop villains from doing bad things. You know, I don't know. I'm just a normal person and I have a really hard time balancing (laughs) all the different things in my life. So Um, And I also like I feel a lot of pressure to do all of them perfectly. And that's something that Nadia really struggles with in this book is she wants to do everything and she wants to do it all perfectly and like really has to learn that neither of those things are possible. Extremely relatable content. Yeah, totally. (laughs) Mood. (laughs) Yeah. So this season on Women of Marvel, we are talking about the superpower of mentorship. So you already mentioned a little bit that Nadia and Janet have a very interesting and strong relationship. So let's talk a little bit more about specifically how Janet, after having this secret stepdaughter show up on her doorstep, has influenced Nadia's life. Absolutely. Well, Janet you know, is really under no obligation to take Nadia in, frankly. You know, Nadia's not her biological daughter. In fact, Janet had a very fraught relationship with Hank, in large part because of his unmanaged bipolar disorder and the way that that led him to treat her and other people in his life. And, you know, which was not great. And so I can see Janet having a lot of baggage 
having to sort of suddenly have this daughter that she uh, a very high powered career woman, I will say, like mm-hmm. never asked for or necessarily wanted. And it was this really unexpected thing in her life. And she really steps up to become a real, like a real mother figure to Nadia, who never really had a mom and is really there to, I would say Janet is not like always amazing at it. She's trying really, really hard to incorporate this new person and this new relationship and this new love into her life, you know, and is trying really hard to teach Nadia how to be a a sociable person, how to be a quote unquote, like normal (laughs) person, (laughs) Um, but also like how to be a really good scientist and how to be a really good leader in science, because Janet is a real leader in the science community in Manhattan at this time. And like, you know, I think she sees that Nadia could really follow in her footsteps. And so goes out of her way to really take Nadia under her wing while still trying to also balance that with all of these other things that Janet already has in her life. A big help in that is Janet's best friend, Bobby or Mockingbird. Mm -hmm. And Bobby becomes another one of Nadia's really great mentors in more of the like cool aunt kind of way. Like Bobby takes Nadia out for brunches, gets her like a lot of (laughs) coffees and has a lot of like real talk with her And I think that's also really important because, you know, you have a mom, but it's also important to have these mentor figures in your life who are not like directly family necessarily, Mm -hmm. but and are willing to kind of really be straight with you about stuff that you maybe don't want to talk to your mom about (laughs) so much, you know? (laughs) Yeah, no, absolutely. That you need kind of those people who bring order to your life and the people that you can let your chaos out with a little bit more, I think. (laughs) Absolutely. And like the hashtag real with. Yeah. Yeah. That's great. And Janet also ends up giving Nadia her last name and lets her take on the mantle of Wasp. I mean, it's true. Um, That's huge. Nadia asks for it. There's a lot in the comics sort of where Nadia is trying to find herself and her identity and who she is coming into this brave new world, essentially in New York that she's never been a part of society as a whole and kind of like what it means. And the person that she ends up feeling the most connected to is Janet. And to your point, Janet very kindly is like, yeah, absolutely. Like you're a family. You will always be family and you are a Van Dyne, like at the end of the day, which I think is really special. And I think is, it's nice that she, you know, Janet, I think is often defined by her relationship to Hank Pym. And so for Nadia to be Hank's daughter, but to have Janet's name because Janet is truly the most important like mentor and parent figure in Nadia's life is really, really meaningful. I love, I loved that choice. I love that it was something that Janet also felt was really meaningful and it just establishes Nadia as part of this family, you know, in perpetuity, which I think is really nice. Well, and you mentioned that Janet's experiences with Hank had prepared her a little bit to help Nadia navigate her bipolar disorder and that, you know, Janet certainly has her own resilience and own issues that she's had to overcome carrying that baggage of kind of some of those experiences, particularly where they overlapped with domestic violence and things like that. How, how did that influence the story that you have to tell here and, you know, kind of their mentor relationship? This is a great question. Um, One of the things that was really important to me when writing this book, something I talked to Jeremy a lot about in preparing to take on this book, was that Nadia's bipolar disorder and her, her mental illness was not like a part of her tragic backstory. It wasn't like a thing that she had to overcome. It was just of the many things that make Nadia who she is, including being very good at science and being a good friend and not knowing how to drive is also she has bipolar. Like that is just one of the many things, much like I am a writer and a lesbian and I also have obsessive compulsive disorder. Like that is just a part of who I am and it is a thing that I deal with in my everyday life. I don't know if deal with is the right term, but that is how I sort of feel about it. Like I I deal with this thing and it doesn't define me any more than it defines Nadia. And that that was really important. It was also really important to show that Nadia with the help of Janet, who has helped her find a good therapist. Because again, to your point, Janet knows what happens when a mental illness goes untreated and knows that it can hurt not only the person who has it, 
but also their loved ones in a way that like that person wouldn't necessarily want it to, you know, knows that it's important for Nadia to learn how to treat it, live with it early on in her life. And so in the book, Nadia goes to therapy (laughs) pretty frequently and like is medicated and talks through her issues with a therapist. And frankly, Ellie, I got to tell you, I think all superheroes should be in therapy. I I mean, I think all people should be in therapy, but like (laughs) they see a lot of stuff. Like, (laughs) you know, (laughs) yeah. So the fact that Nadia has bipolar disorder is almost like, like, of course she also needs therapy, but like, come on, everybody here in the Marvel universe should definitely be going to therapy. But like, I think that's really important to Janet because she doesn't want to see Nadia go down the same route that Hank did because Janet loved Hank. And that was obviously like very fraught and difficult and painful. And like the last thing she would want is for her sort of like adopted child to also have to deal with that sort of pain. And like, this is something Nadia will live with her whole life and will manage her whole life. And so learning to do it at this age while she's also learning all these other things about herself and how to deal with all these other parts of herself is important. And I love that Janet takes some responsibility for that for someone that she is responsible for, you know, not as a minor, like she needs a parent to help her with these things. So, yeah. Yeah. Talking about all superheroes going to therapy. I worked on the very first few issues of Silk. Oh, yeah. It it warmed my heart when uh, at the end of that first run of the series, I heard that Devin Lewis, who was editing it at the time, would ask Robbie Thompson every month did silk go to therapy this month why or why not and if she didn't you know what is the story reason she didn't make it there and i I loved that so much it was one of those moments where it was like oh like this person who i had mentored has grown up and is asking these great questions and i love (laughs) it it's amazing but all of which is to say that i agree completely that i think you know these superheroes see a lot of things And because there are so many of us who navigate something or other, you know, for me, it's always been ADD that, you know, is the thing that since I was a teenager, but we learn ways to navigate and we learn, you know, kind of tools for that. And I think the more that we can model that in these superheroes, because it is the world outside our window, they are supposed to be relatable. Yeah. Well, Ellie, you and I recently met up at New York Comic Con. I had a table there and while I was at my table, a gal came up to the table dressed as Nadia and like cried about the treatment of mental health in the book because she was like, I also have mental health disorders and my best friend has bipolar disorder who was also there and was like, it just meant so much to see a superhero who was like not defined by it. It wasn't Mm -hmm. like a part of making them the way that they are or something to overcome or whatever, like that it was just like a thing that they do and have, and then they live their lives. And it was pretty um, special. It felt pretty yeah. gratifying, frankly. That's amazing. It's always nice when you can hear that something struck an authentic chord. Yeah, absolutely. Talking about the real world a little bit, um, <laughs> what do you think are most important qualities in a mentor or leader? Oh, great question. Someone who is willing to listen without judgment, I think is really huge because. Like learning a new thing is scary. Taking a new step in any direction is scary. Reaching out for help is scary. So someone who is there to sort of like reach out a hand in the other direction and say, it's okay, you can tell me what's going on. I'm here to help you. Again, without sort of judgment is huge. I also think like just being willing to take a chance on someone that you see something special in, whether that be as a friend or potential like, coworker or I would be nowhere in my career without having had people who are willing to reach out a hand to me and say like I see potential in you and I would like to teach you and take a risk on you in the hopes that like you can make something of it and like I would be nowhere without that and I think that is true for most people and so I think that we also have an obligation to then do that in return to sort of the next generation of people coming up. That has all been my experience as well. There was somebody who wanted me to be in that room who saw something that they wanted to take a chance on. And I agree with you 100% that it's then, 
it's then our responsibility to to do that for other people. Yeah. Are there any particular experiences with mentorship where that has kind of mm. impacted your own career, either, you know, as a mentor or mentee that you'd like to share with us? Oh, yeah, absolutely. I mean, there have been two people who have been like really instrumental to my career in general. The first was because I, I came up sort of through video games first. Mm -hmm. uh, and so my first mentor in video games was Patrick Weeks. They're the lead writer at a studio called Bioware. They work on Dragon Age and Mass Effect, which are like two of my favorite games of all time. And I had published a couple of books at this point, but was really looking to make my way into video games. And they were someone who was like, for no, did not have to for any reason, other than they must have seen something in me, sort of reached out a hand and was like, I think you could do really well here and I want to help you succeed. And like taught me how to write video games, basically. And I think they're like the best person in the business who does that. And so I feel like I feel so incredibly lucky to have had that. And they remain like a great friend to this day. And alternately, on top of that, in, you know, I work across mediums. I work in video games and novels and comics. And uh, someone who has been wonderful to me my whole career has been Margaret Stoll, who mm -hmm. is at Marvel as well for having written Captain Marvel and countless numbers of other things. But you know, Margie also came up through video games, has been working in video games since the 90s, when not a lot of women did that, and is someone who kind of looked at me and was like, hey, you do all the different things that I do, we should hang out, and has like very much taken me under her wing, and has supported me and helped me find gigs and has just like generally been a wonderful mentor in terms of like, being a woman in video games, being a woman in comics, the pitfalls and hardships that can come along with that how to deal with that, how to advocate for yourself, someone who has been wonderful about helping me advocate, because that can be really hard to do as a woman in these industries too. You kind of show up in these big studios working for these big IPs that you love so much and you're kind of just happy to be there, you know, but also like Margie has always very much been a real know your value kind of gal. And that's important. Yeah, I haven't gotten a ton of opportunity to work with Margie, but I have always been impressed anytime that I have worked with her that she's always pitching other people like, like she's always yeah. recommending other people for jobs she's always saying you know have you heard of this person you know that she's just always looking out for the people that yeah. she mentors and that she cares about and trying to give them opportunities and that's such a great thing oh I like aspire to be like that so much yeah totally yeah yeah. yeah. I also want to be Margie when I grow up a little bit. Like it's, I know it's that's a hundred percent our deal. Yeah, absolutely yeah, correct. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah, to just and to be someone who's able to do that in a way that you know, because it's always tricky when you're trying to recommend people for a job, when you're trying to, oh, yeah. you know, that like, but to do it in a way that feels so authentic and not like you're pushing people, you know, on people yeah, is a very absolutely. good skill. And how about opportunities for you to then, as you said, kind of reach back and, and mentor yourself? Have you had much opportunity to do that? Yeah, I've been really fortunate. I mean, one of my favorite things about existing online, <laughs> there are some great things and there are some terrible things, but like <laughs> being able to form networks of like amazing other creators has been so great. And so I've kind of come to know so many other really wonderful women who are trying to break into games or are in indie games or are making indie comics who really want to like take that stuff to the next level. And a large part of my sort of karmic giving back is always like much like Margie, always sort of playing job fairy is, is how yeah. I call it. Like it's my favorite thing to do is to know like when other studios are looking for new writers, when you know, comic book publishers are looking for people. I'm always the first person to be like, this person hasn't had a chance yet. They deserve a chance. They're really, really good. Trust me. Like, you're not going to regret it. Like vouching for other people and getting them in the door in the same way that I had people do that for me is like literally my favorite part of my job, genuinely and truly. And I have been very fortunate to be able to do that in a lot of different places, moments in my career and continue to do so. And like selfishly is also the best feeling in the world to be like, yeah, I helped get them that job. Like that's, I introduced them to the right people and they did all hard work obviously to get there. But like I opened that door that they yeah. were prepared to walk through. Um, but to be able to be the door opener is like, feels really good. It feels really good, especially um, when we're talking about marginalized people. Like it's so, it's doubly hard to have that door open to you when you are 
queer, a woman, a person of color, marginalized in any of those ways, like the doors stay shut way longer, um, unless you have someone from the inside who's willing to kind of open it for you. So to be able to be that person, um, I don't take that lightly. Yeah, I agree with you that that's that's one of the greatest feelings when you can give an opportunity to somebody who's going to create a lot of amazing work that people may not (laughs) have seen otherwise or not seen as soon. So, oh my God. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I am I love that. very glad that you are out there doing that work. Um, oh, and gosh. I am so excited to read whatever you're writing next. Oh, Ellie, anytime. Love to talk about Nadia. Thank you for having me. Sam never ceases to be amazing. Like, she does everything. She writes comics and books and video games and has such great insights on our characters. And you can tell that she really is invested in their stories and has, like, a true love for where they're going. She really does. And speaking of young female scientists, Angelique, you want to talk to me about next week? Oh, do I? Oh, my gosh. I'm so excited because we're going to be talking about one of the coolest characters in the Marvel Universe. And in fact, the smartest, not just the smartest nine-year-old, the smartest character in the Marvel Universe, Lunella Lafayette, a.k.a. Moon Girl. And we're going to hear from one of the co-creators of the character, Amy Reader, who I'm so stoked to talk to. I just can't wait for everyone to hear about how this nine-year-old genius learns from the people around her. So excited. Moon Girl is the best, and I cannot wait to hear this conversation. Until then, Women of Marvel is produced by Isabel Robertson, Cara McGurk-Allison, Ellie Pyle, Judy Stevens, and Angelique Rocher. Our Senior Manager of Audio Development is Brad Barton. Our Director of Production Management is Larissa Rosen. Production Manager is Emily Godfrey, and our Executive Producer is Jill Duboff. Listen weekly on SiriusXM and on Marvel Podcasts Unlimited on Apple Podcasts. See you next week. This is Marvel, your universe.